0: I always tell people like, yes, I'm doing AR now, but hopefully I'll be doing something completely different in a couple of years. I'm just so interested in how we can harness like the newest technology to create something new and unexpected.
1: Hey, everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. Welcome to the weekly Typographic. Our weekly episodes talk about type and design news, but we've got a bonus episode for you today. We're chatting with a designer that's innovating the field through education and their practice. It's going to be fun. Let's jump in. Hello, everyone. Today on the podcast, we have Beatrice Lozano. Beatrice is an NYC. design director at the Creative Studio Sunday afternoon and an instructor at Parsons School of Design. We initially discovered Beatrice's work through her typeface, Ancho, and quickly found that the rest of her design portfolio was just as inspiring. Focusing on the intersection of type design, AR, and motion design, she's creating undeniably cutting-edge work. Beatrice holds a BFA from the University of Michigan, and while her college experience began with studying to become a mechanical engineer, Beatrice shifted her studies to graphic design as her involvement in immigrant rights activism exposed her to the power of visual communication. Welcome to the podcast, Beatrice. Well, hey, thank you so much for having me. We're so excited to have you here. You've been certainly top of the list for (laughs) dream guests for quite a while. and We were able to meet each other in person, which is definitely quite a privilege these days at the Ladies Wine Design event a couple months ago.
0: Yeah, that was such an incredible event. Yeah, just to be able to meet so many people that I've been admiring through social media for so long and to finally have the chance to meet and see each other in person.
1: Yeah, the energy in the air was something else. I think it was like my first design event. Have you been to any design events in the city this past year or only a handful?
0: I have not. It's been probably since COVID, since we've had like some like exciting uh, design events in the city.
1: I know. Hopefully this will get the word out. Me and Beatrice will be there. We want to hang. Want to get the opportunity. We'll be the first ones there. I know. There's actually an event in the works with my studio thought matter, but I, that's as much as I'm going to say. <laughs> but I'll let you know when the next event comes up and we can meet up then. So, we're so inspired by your work at The League. Like I said, I um, we both found your work through Ancho, which was featured in Juan Villanueva's one of his um projects. I think it was Typography as Cultural Objects. And from there, we found the rest of your work. I know you're really sweet and humble, so I'm just going to have to do all the bragging here <laughs> for you. Beatrice's work is no joke. It's really on just the front lines of what innovative typography is, whether that's using motion or even their type design I love, and then bringing typography into spaces, into technology. It makes me very excited. But I also want to start from the beginning like work (laughs) our way up to how you got to where you are now and all of your success that you have now because everyone starts from somewhere. So it's so interesting how you found yourself in college switching degrees to something totally different than what you originally want to study. And you have a really unique story for what motivated you as well. So, I want to get into kind of all those things. So, walk us through your trip to the quote unquote dark side, <laughs> AKA the design world. I want to hear about how that decision making was happening when you decided you want to be a creative and what were the biggest hurdles you faced during that transition during your education? And then, what were the challenges you faced once you entered the workforce? I feel like Sometimes it's one thing to decide you want to take on an identity of being a designer, and then it's another thing being like, how am I going to make money off of this? So let's get comfy, settle (laughs) in, and we're excited to hear what you have to say.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I grew up in Michigan, and for me, attending the University of Michigan was kind of a given, also just because of the in-state tuition. And growing up, I've always just loved math and science. So ever since I was really young, a lot of people sort of hinted at, at that I would be a great engineer. And the more I learned about it, I was like, yeah, this is exactly what I love to do. I love math. I love figuring out problems. And that was essentially all I was really exposed to since a young age. But also, at the same time, I really loved being creative. I love drawing. I love painting. And thankfully, my parents were always so supportive of me and my siblings who were all super creative. But my parents also didn't know that you could actually make a living, you know, being an artist or a designer. So they never fully encouraged that as a profession, but they definitely encouraged that for us individually, like as our passions. And then I was so fortunate to live in a state that had such a great engineering program, so that was kind of just a given for me to attend U of M for mechanical engineering. But from the very beginning of college, I was also taking classes at the art school. But I was just taking like figure drawing, painting. It's so strange to think back on those times because I had no idea what design was. Like I didn't even think about graphic design which is so interesting now that I'm teaching that there's these students who are like 18 years old and they've been studying graphic design for years and they know exactly what they want to do. But that was not where I was at when I was 18 and 19. But also at the same time, while I started attending like my first year in college, I grew up in Metro Detroit and it wasn't a very diverse area. It was very white and my family was one of the few non-white families were Mexican. And um, when I first started attending college, it's like the first time I started being around other people who cared about the same things that I cared about. And it wasn't just about art or, or engineering, but I really began to find this community in social justice spaces. I began meeting other students from all over the country, all over the world that shared my values. So from my first semester in college, I began joining different activism clubs, different volunteer orgs, and that's how I began to get involved in specifically immigrant rights. From the very beginning, as I mentioned, I love to draw, I love to paint, I was taking some classes at the art school, so I was teaching myself Illustrator and Photoshop, all that, all the good stuff. So when I was attending all of these activism meetings, I offered to create posters for them because I noticed that they were making their posters in Microsoft Word. And I was like, well, I think I could do a little bit better than this. But I didn't realize that that was design in that moment. And so just slowly over the first two years while I was in college, I just became like the go-to person to make flyers or like social posts, even to film different protests around campus and teach myself how to edit videos. When I was in the engineering classes, I actually learned how to code like C++ or you know, coding for engineers, but it wasn't until I started in, getting involved in my activism that I began to teach myself CSS and HTML just because we needed websites to get protests out there. So it it just happened really organically. It was just like this need to get the word out and to get more people involved in the causes we cared about. And it was just so natural for me to use my creative abilities and also, exciting to get these opportunities like to learn how to make a website or make an animation or make a flyer and I guess little by little I began designing even though I didn't realize that's what I was doing um and then it wasn't until close to the end of my sophomore year that I was actually working with uh, She was a law student, and we were working in this immigrant rights group, and she was like, you know, you could charge people for this. And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, yeah, there's people who do this professionally. This is a whole career, and you should look into this. So I did. I started looking at design classes over at the art school. I met some incredible professors who really became great mentors for me. And from that point, I just knew that's what I really love to do. And so I started making that switch to just really focus in on graphic design.
1: Wow. I have a couple thoughts. One is how unusual and spectacular is it that a lawyer was the one who was saying, This is a professional path? That is really uncommon for someone in a trade that's not really related to creativity to push you to pursue that. And lately, I've been thinking a lot about this. Everyone likes to talk about education. I love to talk about education, it's so important. But also when you want to pursue something professionally, there's so much learning that just happens when there is pressure applied to a situation. You're saying, we needed websites. We needed – like there was an urgency and there was a purpose and it was larger than an exercise learning how to use colors and typography. There was a certain urgency to it all, I'm sure, that kind of pushed you in the situation. And I bet you learned so much just by having to figure it out. Would you say that's the case?
0: Oh, yeah, a hundred percent. Even now, I sometimes think back on it. I just had a project call this morning, and it was actually for this like political campaign to get college students to vote, and they're like, "Oh, we don't know. We only have a couple weeks." and I was like, couple weeks like when I was in college, we would have like three days where we'd just have to throw together like a campaign. so I think in many ways, it just really shaped the, my approach to design, and even to this day, I feel like it had a huge impact in my process. And I think if I had a more traditional upbringing in design and started taking design classes from the very beginning, I think my work wouldn't be as maybe as experimental as it is or as playful as it might be. I think just having that liberty of making stuff and problem solving as it's needed in that moment
1: had such a huge impact in the rest of my career so far. That's amazing to hear. That's So cool. How would you describe your transition from college in Michigan to working as a designer? Did you go straight to New York? What were like the biggest learning curves that you had to stay nimble on during that time? So as I was nearing my time
0: for graduation, um, I just knew I need to move to New York. New York is where it's at. I just admired so many designers that had been living and designing in New York. And unfortunately, at the time, Michigan, and especially even Detroit, the design scene wasn't quite there yet. It was super small. And there was also just a very specific style. And I think something that was just so alluring for me of New York is like you could be anything, you could make anything you wanted, and you didn't have to conform to the specific style or aesthetic, which was super exciting for me. I wish I would have moved to New York right away. I actually ended up moving back home for a year. And I was so fortunate that my parents were still living in Michigan at the time. And that I could move back home and essentially be unemployed for a year. And that was definitely like a tough year for me because I am a first-generation college student. And so I just didn't have those connections that maybe some of my other classmates had. I had classmates who were like interning in New York from the time they were sophomores or like taking trips out here. That just was like not even remotely an option for me. Like I just did not have the financial background to take those next steps. Like there's no way I would have been able to move to New York without a job, even though I think a lot of people are do have that privilege to do that. And it's wonderful that they can, but For those of us who don't have that, I always just suggest to have some patience because I really believe in the end, it does work out. We just have to be maybe a little bit more patient. So yeah, I ended up moving back home with my parents for a year. I applied to every single design studio I could think of that I could just Google and find design studios that I've admired for a long time, design studios that I've never heard of. I would just send hundreds of emails. Eventually, I'd heard back from one place, and it was this really small agency. They were looking for an intern, and I was like, "I'll take it. Like, I will take any job. I just need to get like my foot in the door." And I moved here in the summer of 2017, and for my first internship, all I would be doing was just making a bunch of banner ads for American Express. It was just a very uh, corporate job. It's nothing. Like what I do today, but once again, I think it was such an incredible learning experience that
1: has taught me so much. Absolutely, I am always inspired. I remember in college hearing professors recommend make a spreadsheet, your favorite studios, like the most inspiring places, and cold email. And so that's what you were doing. Is that how you? Is that how you landed the first internship? Yeah, so I was just, like, Googling every single place I could find. I saw that this place had an
0: internship, like, opening, so I just sent them, like, my resume, my cover letter, everything. And I remember tailoring each cover letter to every single job. Applying for jobs is its own full-time job. It was super, super time-consuming, but all it takes is just that one, that first yes.
1: Yeah, and sometimes you just need the foot in the door, and that's such a good example of – I wasn't doing anything gla- Like there were so many jobs, I did the least glamorous things. It was like, <laughs> okay. But once you move locations and you you get the ball rolling, anything's possible. Sunday afternoon is very admirable. Like design studio, and what in a handful of years you found yourself as a design director there. That's impressive, and I think an inspiring story to anyone listening at the moment as well. That's so, so exciting. I wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk about your time teaching at Parsons. You began teaching at Parsons earlier this year. You're an instructor there. What inspired you to make the decision to teach the next generation of designers? And what's something that you're learning from your students?
0: Yeah, for sure. I've always been passionate about working with younger whether that's students or designers during that one year where I was back at home being unemployed, I was actually volunteering at this immigrant rights organization that I recently rebranded last year, but I was teaching their members who were like high school students, how to make websites and HTML and CSS so that they can continue doing their activism work similar to what I was doing when I was in college. So teaching students has always been something I've been very interested in and specifically when it comes to like code or technology, And especially when it comes to teaching like girls and women and students of color who often don't have access to coding classes or who are often left out of the tech industry. Something that I've noticed, I guess, in myself that I've been interested in for years, even before I've gotten the chance to teach at Parsons. And it was actually kind of funny because I was like having lunch with friends and one of my friends was currently teaching And she was like, Would you ever want to teach? And I was like, Yeah, you know, maybe like in 10 years, maybe like down the line. I'm like, When it's time, it'll happen. And the next day, I received an email and it was like, Would you like to teach at Parsons? And I was like, Oh my God, that's like almost like a little scary. Like it just happened so quickly. But yeah, to me, it's been such an incredible opportunity. And also because the University of Michigan, where I went to college, doesn't have like the most renowned design program. Like our emphasis is, in a broader like liberal arts education. And I'm not even sure I would have gotten into Parsons if I applied when I was in college. So it's almost like this full circle thing for me to now be able to teach and work with the students there. And it's an incredible institution, incredible school and super inspiring. Like meeting all these young students who are like 19 years old. They know exactly what they want to do. And they're extremely
1: hardworking, super talented.
0: And I'm just excited to see where they're going to go in the next couple of years.
1: What's on the minds of art school students these days? Are they concerned about the job market? Are they trying to really put their own personality in their work? Are they worried? Are they trying to like conform to trends? What's kind of the vibe that you're catching from the students these days?
0: I am baffled by Gen Z every day, baffled and impressed. Where I'm like, wow, they're so impressive. Like I just think the, like the attitude that they have towards life, and they're also ambitious and just willing to like jump in and learn something new. It's super inspiring. And at least for me, like seeing this new younger generation and reflecting back on my own experience from college. I'm currently actually teaching core interaction class. I'm teaching them a coding class. So it's not a class that's necessarily too conceptual or too deep, but um, even from day one, I made an effort to have the students not only introduce themselves, but to tell me about some things that they're passionate about in life in general and the reason why I ask that of them is because I've noticed that in my own life, like the things that I was passionate about when I was like 18 and 19 years old are still true today and have shaped my career. And I also ask them to really reflect on these things that they're passionate about and create projects around them, even if it's something like they love food or they love cats, you know, they could really build incredible projects around that that would hopefully help them attract. Future work opportunities, or even just creative opportunities around stuff that they really love. That's just something that's so important for me to hopefully help these younger students have a really fulfilling time being designers and creatives out in the world and making work that they care about.
1: Absolutely. I when you're in college and you're like, and I went to Pratt, so I had the design school experience. I totally took for granted all the projects where I got to just control what the project was about because that's not necessarily what real life working as you know a freelancer or a full-time employee is about. But understanding how to take something you love and then thinking about it through a design lens can really get people passionate and really say, okay, I want to make a poster about my cat. Well, I also want to make a zine about my cat. And maybe I should make a website about my cat because I love my cat so much. I think that – method of teaching is amazing. And I I heard similar things when I interviewed Juan Villanueva because we talked a lot about how he conducted his instructing even for high school students. And he was like, they might not have the technical skills, but if you put something that they're already passionate about and reframe it with this designer lens, students can surprise themselves in that way. And have you seen projects where someone like puts their full self into it and something totally unexpected is the outcome of it? Are there any meandering student projects that you've witnessed?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm so excited to go to class every week and just see what all the students are creating and also just seeing the huge range of passions. Like, for example, one of my current students' passion or theme of the semester is like songs from his childhood. So they're all like these songs from the early 2000s and... It's just so incredible to see so far how he's began to like reinterpret these visually. And it's just so rewarding and so inspiring to see how these younger students are now like reinterpreting and reusing these different aesthetics 10 years later.
1: Yeah, I'm always excited to see what's on the minds of new designers. And I feel like even when I work with interns, they're always teaching me new places to find imagery or swipe or new places to get inspired. I think that's kind of the amazing thing of getting to interact with people that aren't necessarily like stuck in the everyday professional life where people are kind of a little more in their routine. Well, as you mentioned earlier, activism was like a huge motivator for you deciding to become a creative. And it was like incredibly influential. You know, when we're young, we all have things we're really passionate about and purposes that are driving us in the creative world. And then, you know, there's always a balancing act of, okay, I need to make money and maybe put this passion to the side. Or, you know, I have enough money in the bank. I really want to focus on my passion. Through your professional years, how have you kind of stayed true to what really drove you in the first place? And how do you kind of scratch that itch while like still maintaining the career as well?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think ever since, since I graduated, I've always been working on some kind of project that is geared towards social good or working with different communities. I'm always working at least on one project and many times they're like super low paying or even pro bono, but that's okay. And as you said, it's definitely a balancing act. Like I'm always taking that into consideration. Like if I'm freelancing on a larger project that does pay well, it gives me the liberty to also take on this like pro bono project or this project that might not pay really well. And for me, it's not about the money when it comes to those projects at all. It, it's just something that really fulfills me. And at least for me, fulfills what design is meant to be, and how it's meant to function in the world, and how it helps people connect to each other and helps us educate each other in our different identities and look, outlooks on the world. So, I've been very fortunate to not only work on these like pro bono meaningful projects, but I think just because over time I have worked on different projects with different communities, it has attracted clients who also share those values. So, last year I worked on the project with Planned Parenthood. I did a project with ESPN celebrating the 50 years of the passage of Title IX, currently working on this Get Out the Vote campaign. So it's super cool that, again, coming back to that idea of like just really leaning into what you're passionate about. And I really believe that once you do that, it will begin to attract other like-minded projects, other like-minded people. And hopefully you'll get the chance to collaborate and make something really awesome.
1: Yeah, I remember hearing years back that if you want it to be, graphic design can be a civic act. Like you can be giving back to communities. You can actually be communicating with more grassroots movements or people in your community. And I think that's often so forgotten. Sometimes people graduate and they're like, I just want to make cool stuff and get paid. Neither of those things are a bad thing. Like I also want to make cool stuff and get paid. <laughs> but being persistent about what you care about, that Allows projects to really sink into your heart a little bit more and make it feel so much more meaningful and talking to different groups of people that are not necessarily glamorous clients are not people that are sporting brand names every day in the fashion industry, someone like Planned Parenthood like there's urgency to that, and there are real just normal people on the other side of that campaign that are receiving that messaging. And it's just, it gets muddled so often, doesn't it? (laughs) It
0: does. Yeah, definitely. And I've also noticed this trend of where so many graphic designers, they want to create these projects that are rooted in social good, but they often just don't know where or like how to get connected with different communities. And it's sometimes like often a huge event in the country that they want to get involved with. And To your point, I think there are great organizations like Planned Parenthood that do have this urgency and they're out here every single day. And I think it's just maybe like a matter of reframing our perspective. Like We interact with so many great organizations on a day-to-day basis that we can give a little bit of our creative eye and our creative input.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I am jumping off of that. I'm curious. I know this is a little off the script, but did you have... Just like general feelings, like there was a while in 2020 when there was a lot of performative activism going on on social media, lots of cute graphics distilling down really huge topics. I mean, was that hard to watch? Was that like, do you think that was like a growing moment for the design world? What was your reaction to that big wave that happened? I think a lot of it was during the pandemic. It's kind of slowed down, but it was like, People were coming out of the woodworks with these really cute bite-sized graphics trying to explain these large situations, and it wasn't quite sufficient.
0: Yeah, for sure. I had some mixed feelings, but mainly I do think it was a growing moment to see a lot of people who might have been silent before to begin to care about these issues or to begin to learn how to use their skills. And I think that, to me, definitely gave me some hope. You know, was the execution perfect? You know, obviously not. Obviously, they should have maybe spent a little more time or put a little more thought behind all of these graphics. But when it comes to making, I think, real change, it often takes so much time. And it can be many, many years of like on the ground work. And I do think that visuals are such a big part of that to communicate that to a larger audience. But they're also just at the surface level. They're just one tiny part. And I think that's also one thing that did bother me. Although, yes, we are designers and we can make these graphics, there's also so many other ways that we can get involved and make real change. And that could look like attending a protest or volunteering behind the scenes if you don't feel comfortable like being on the ground. There's so many day-to-day things that we can do where I think just spending two hours to make a graphic, it might not be super helpful. And it's more just like self-gratifying and maybe a little virtue uh, signaling. So I think it's great if people are posting these things as long as you're also like backing it up with real action in your daily life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that was one of the first times graphic design for social media was reaching the mainstream because it was one thing when you saw it one week, but then it was, you know, happening week over week. And I agree, it's, you know, mixed feelings where people clearly were trying to get the messaging out, but. Maybe the medium isn't always the easiest thing. And I think it was the easiest thing for a lot of people was to go through that channel. And I think the criticism that came out after it was also a growing moment for everyone too to realize that, like you said, action comes from protests. Action comes from talking to these organizations and trying to uh, lend your hand where that's possible. But that's always good to hear. and it's so good to hear like your journey with balancing it out, knowing that not every project is going to be the passion project. And how is it that we're going to decide to take on work in, in this client? Or I think like you said, there's lots of big clients that are trying to make a statement with social impact when you said ESPN titled Nine project. It's so interesting that a lot of that stuff is finally coming out after, after it's been long overdue. I'd say,
0: <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And I will say like all of those social posts that did come from designers during the pandemic, definitely have an influence on these larger companies, whether they're doing it from a genuine place. I mean, these companies probably not, but they are seeing that this is a trend. This is very popular. And people now care about social good and social justice. So we might as well hop on the trend. And whether it's genuine or not, that's okay with me, because I do think that they do have the power to make some real change.
1: Agreed. When you're working for a studio, you see the big, bigger clients like coming in and noticing that there's movements in the zeitgeist. And even with the next generation, Gen Z are very socially conscious and that's who they're trying to talk to. So for better, for worse, let's make this world better, you know? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. All right. I'm going to talk a little bit about your work. So you do work in the AR and motion space. You're the only designer I can think of off the top of my head that I'm like, AR typography, Beatrice, go look her up. Also, you're on the short list of female-type designers that I tell people to look up. (laughs) So you're like on the next frontier. You're doing crazy innovative stuff that people weren't really thinking about 10 years ago. What's some other new frontier, either in the typographic world or the design world? that hasn't yet been explored or is kind of starting to be explored that you're excited about.
0: Yeah, I always tell people like, "Yes, I'm doing AR now, but hopefully I'll be doing something completely different in a couple of years." I'm just so interested in how we can harness like the newest technology to create something new and unexpected. And one thing that has been pretty popular now, it more in like the art space and design space, not so much in the typographic space quite yet is artificial intelligence and how people have been able to just type in prompts and it creates all of these unexpected visuals that you might not, you know, you wouldn't be able to create these on your own. And it also creates these in a manner of seconds. So I've definitely been using some AI technology in some ongoing projects right now. I think the tech isn't quite there to create typography, but I do think in the future, that's where it's going to go. Like we're going to be able to create typefaces and different styles just by typing in a prompt, which I think is something that's going to really change the way we design typefaces. And I think that's something that's so exciting. And I would just like, love to continue exploring that as that keeps evolving.
1: Yeah. So all the creatives are up in arms about the AI, Dolly, <laughs> Dolly 2. I want to know what's your take on it? Are you using it currently as a tool? And if so, could you share what you're using it for? And Are you completely optimistic or do you have some pessimism? Or if someone was like, what's the deal with Dolly 2? Why should I get on board or Dolly or AI? What's your response?
0: I will say I might be a bit of a realist. So I always think of everything that could go possibly wrong. And I feel the same way about AR. Like there's so much positive that comes out of it. But there's also, I think, a lot of danger, especially I was recently having a conversation with friends when it comes to you know, exposing young children to AR when their minds are still developing. And we're blurring that line of what is physically real and what isn't. And that's something I'm still thinking about as I'm working in these different mediums. But for AI, it's inevitable. I think people should just embrace it. I think whoever is creating these programs should definitely maybe be conscious of intellectual property or paying the artists what they deserve if they're pulling from their work. But It really is something that's inevitable, so people should just begin to design with it and embrace it. I am using it. I have actually used it for a recent illustration piece that was published in The Baffler, and the piece itself was around technology. And so I felt like it was just a very fitting tool to use for that piece. And I was able to create graphs in the style of W.E.B. Du Bois and incorporate those into my illustration and like Photoshop those together. So I've never actually just used the AI design straight out, like how it's generated. I usually pull it back into Photoshop, add some typography and adjust it. I really just see it as a tool, very similar to creative coding or P5, where you can generate all of these unexpected designs or animations. So yeah, I think it's going to be something that we're going to be seeing more and more of. And we're even using it here at Sunday afternoon for a recent client project. And we're designing a bunch of posters for this exhibition in Dubai. And the theme is futurism. So again, we felt like using AI was something that was very fitting. And so our entire team right now is just going crazy on uh, AI. And we're just typing in all of these different prompts and making all of these incredible posters that really look so different from anything that any of us have made before
1: that's so inspiring and first inspired by that poster project for dubai i'm now like thinking i haven't yet thought of any client projects that could prompt that and when you say like it's thinking of things that we can't even think of. Like I know how some people think that's really scary, but I get really excited about that. And then also using it as a tool to be part of a bigger illustration. I think illustrators are maybe the most concerned about Dolly 2 because it has the power of Dolly, which is doing text to image, but Dolly 2 is all about this, adding the layer of styling to it. But that's incredible. I have to ask, does Dolly know W.E.B. Du Bois's? data portraits, like does it know it's work? Because that's really exciting for me, if that's true. I was
0: using mid-journey and it did, like it was pulling designs in his style, which is, you know, I fully agree. It's slightly terrifying, but also equally as impressive. It also did this in a matter of like 30 seconds, where if I was trying to illustrate some charts and graphs in his style, it would have taken me probably many hours to accomplish what Midjourney journey was able to do in the matter of like 30 seconds.
1: Yeah. And we're talking about the W.E.B. Du-, du Bois infographics. They're called data portraits. People should definitely look them up if they're not familiar. And we did a whole podcast about those data portraits. And it's so incredible. They're often left out of common graphic design discourse. They're not included in the common graphic design textbooks, yet they were Incredibly ahead of their time. And they're getting a lot more attention these days. You know, Trace Seals came out with the typeface that was based off of them. I think Mm -hmm. they're being exhibited for the first time outside of the Library of Congress in New York this winter, which I'm really excited about. I think they're coming to the Cooper Hewitt. So it's amazing that it's in the artificial intelligence database, mostly because a lot of what we're hearing is there's like a lot of bias against anything that is not conforming to. Western visuals, basically. Right now, I think I have a dolly to access. I haven't used it yet, but they're not even doing like realistic face renderings. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, it does struggle when it comes to face renderings, but even in the last couple of weeks since I started using it, it has already improved so much, which is, again, so impressive and terrifying. But I fully agree. I have definitely heard about the biases. And maybe it's because I'm not really typing in to create images of people or different cultures. I think I often use it to create textures or abstract patterns. But Yeah, I think, unfortunately, it's the entire design world and our entire systems that we live in that are so biased, even something like Wikipedia, where often people get their information or even our design and art schools and the history that we're taught is so biased. So I'm in no way surprised that another tool to create something is biased once again.
1: (laughs) And I think we can all understand that if you Google the image of a CEO, you always get like a bunch of white dudes. So it's that same logic. But ultimately, I'm with you. Where I'm at the stance where I think AI itself is neutral. It's a technology. It's neither good nor bad. It can be used for good or bad. The internet existed. It was neutral. Could be used for good, could be used for bad. I'm curious. Are there any typographers, type designers that are using AI in interesting ways that you know of?
0: Not that I know of, but I am excited for the 36 days of type because I feel like so many people are about to use AI for 36 days of type. I really think that's something that's about to blow up for this upcoming year, but I actually really haven't seen anybody that I follow or that I know that is working in the AI type space quite yet.
1: Okay. It's going to happen. <laughs> I feel like I'm lookout now for AI type people and women typographers in the NFT crypto space. That's my shout out. I always <laughs> like to remind people I'm still looking for a woman in the crypto space. Oh, yeah. Space remember that's you mentioned type. that. <laughs> I'm still looking, guys. <laughs> but good to keep our eye out for that sort of thing. And it's always refreshing to hear like a positive take because honestly, I think the only way creatives are going to start feeling better about this technology is if we see creatives that we admire using it. So once we see like you, Beatrice, putting out awesome work that is inspiring, is topical, is relevant, I think there's going to be other designers, I know there's a ton that look up to you too, that are going to see that and say oh, wait, this is actually something I can use as a tool and something that can like be good to my design practice.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I fully agree that technology is neutral. And like, of course, there's going to be people who are using it in negative ways. But for that reason, I think it's so important that we keep using it as well. Like those of us who want to make positive work or make interesting, joyful work out there. Just to hopefully one day make the technology be something that's used more for good than it is for something that's negative.
1: Exactly. Mic drop. Amazing. <laughs> I got two last questions for you. This time is flying by. Okay. This is more like thinking inward, like less about our actual design and practices, more about being a designer and design director, existing As a human that's successful, that has her own personal projects going on, but is also, you know, successful day to day in your full time career, how do you balance personal endeavors, whether that's type based project or teaching gigs or teaching at Parsons with your full time job without getting burnt out? That's the magic question of the evening. That's a
0: great question. I feel like I'm just so lucky that I genuinely love what I do. And I think part of it was that, you know, originally when I started off as an engineer, that was something that I didn't love. So I know what it's like to maybe work Uh in something that you don't love and to make that jump to fully pursue something that you're passionate about. So every day, I'm just so thankful that I get to be creative and even get paid to make the work that I love to make. And for me, one of the most exciting things is just to learn something new. And the way I do that is just working on my own personal projects. So I just get so much joy and satisfaction out of always trying to, like, learn a new program or, like a new approach or a new typeface. And, yeah, I think for me, it's just a process that brings me a lot of joy. And also in, like, my personal work, if I ever am doing, like, a pro bono project or freelance project. I only work on projects that I'm really passionate about and that I really care about, regardless of the pay. If not, I probably would be burnt out if I was, you know, working my weekends on uh, commercial projects I maybe wasn't so passionate about.
1: Yeah, that's always such a good point. You know, there was points in my career where I did have to take every project that came my way because I, I need to make ends meet. And it is, isn't it such a great feeling being able to work full time and then being like, I'm only doing things I'm passionate about. <laughs> That's it. That's an incredible boundary that I've discovered I could have. And I agree. Without that, you're just going to be like grinding yourself down. Like there needs to be, there needs to be the passion. I understand. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Last question. Oh, the most difficult one I ask, which is funny because it's just one that just shares some love and joy. But who is a person working right now in the letter form world that you admire? I would just, I only get one person. I just have to select one person. Everyone always says that and then I give in. I mean, it'd be great, but no, give out your shout outs. Do them all. Okay. My person
0: would be Lynn Yoon. So I think she was also a guest here on this podcast. And I've just been such a big fan of her work for years. And I had the opportunity to take one of her coding classes a couple of years ago. And I really do think she's just like on the front lines of technology, of typography, and just somebody who really inspires me in my work and my process.
1: Absolutely. She was our first interview, and that was not without reason. Lynn's incredible. I feel like we Lynn gets brought up like every other interview we do. <laughs> it's hilarious but she deserves all the credit she's doing so much for the educational world making type more accessible she's someone that's like always learning always developing always innovating so yeah that was a great shout out Beatrice this was so much fun I so appreciate you taking the time again huge fans every time you put out new work I'm just like this girl is killing it. It's so <laughs> inspiring. I often go to your website sometimes when I'm sitting down with a new project that doesn't have any look and feel or anything. And I'm just like, let me look at something that I know is going to bring me joy to look at and also makes me think about type differently. And I always feel that way when I look at your design portfolio. We're just huge fans. In like a couple of years, we're going to have to have a follow-up interview and I'll hear about all the cool stuff that you did in between this interview and that interview. So, I mean, I just can't encourage everyone enough that's listening to look you up. I know you already have existing fans, so I'm sure that's not going to be a hard sell for anyone. But if people do want to find you, if this is their first time, their first Beatrice Lozano experience, where do you live on the web? I mostly share,
0: like, my sketches and, like, my daily work is usually just through Instagram. And then I do
1: also have my website. Amazing. And what are the handles? What's the Instagram handle? What's the URL? Give it all.
0: Yeah. So my handle is B-E-A-T-L-O-Z, just because, you know, everything was taken. Same with my website. It's L. Dot com everyone's like why is that your website i'm like it's difficult out here getting the url we'll take what we can get
1: i feel yeah well I'll definitely go give beatrice a follow and you're just gonna be amazed and i can't wait to see all the new ai work that you got going all the stuff in the mix thanks so much for joining us today of course thank you so much for inviting me